0: Well, the first week of the finals brought frills, spills, controversy and the two big guns in the competition in the Melbourne Storm and the City Roosters leave the 2022 Telstra Premiership. AJ and Reese highlight a massive week of Rugby League where they go over everything plus a little bit more. This is the league scenes look at the first week of the NRL finals. everyone to the league Saints look at the first week of the NRL final series I'm AJ Luke Antonio contributor of the League Unlimited website and the Front Row program joining me as usual is our nothing but league contributor and sad Broncos fan Rhys Sullivan Reese, nice to have
1: you here you call me a sad Broncos fan after the week you've had mate. that is very rich <laughs> that is very fucking rich I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to build up
0: some atmosphere and some excitement for myself, mate. Come on. Leave it, leave <laughs> yeah, me alone. Fair enough.
1: Fair enough. I thought, I thought the finals built enough atmosphere and excitement for all of us. Until Sunday. <laughs> but anyway, on today's program, we're going to spend a
0: little bit more time than usual because we've only got four games to review. So we're going to spend some time going into some deeper dive analysis on each of the four finals, the two qualifying finals and the two elimination finals. We saw two of the big guns in the NRL Telstra Premiership depart us in the Melbourne Storm. And um, the um, was the other team again? I'm struggling to forget. Oh, that's right. It was the Roosters.
1: They're not the Ramnos.
0: Can we end this now?
1: No. No. It's,
0: it's going to be a long episode, but trust me, I've got a lot to say on the Roosters' departure from the season. But without further ado, we're going to do what we normally do, going through the games in chronological order. And it started on Friday night with the traditional Battle of the West, and it was Penriff proving too strong for Parramatta, 27 points to wait. It was a game that really was an arm wrestle until Mitchie Moses decided to collect the kick out. Yeah,
1: I mean, it was, but at the same time, Penrith had taken a bit of control earlier through Toro's second try. Yeah. Pe- Penrith took control of the game, and then they were in attacking position when Moses went down too and then they scored off the back of that through Edwards.
0: Yeah, they had those. They had the, they had the triple whammy of those three quick tries in yeah, the space of 10 minutes. Recover. Yeah, and with all due respect, I thought Parramatta hung in the contest really well. They overcame the early wave of aggression through Penrith's forwards, which normally, as we've covered Parramatta games this year, when they lose that forward battle, they kind of struggle to win it back a little bit. I thought this time they did a really good job of taking the game back to Penrith. And it was a lovely moment for Oregon Kafusi to crash over. And then we had a bit of a field goal shootout before halftime. We, I haven't seen that since 1980s. We had a few <laughs> throwbacks to the 80s this weekend, but that might be <laughs> the wildest.
1: Yeah. I think there's a conspiracy that Cleary was just trying to one-up Moses.
0: I seen that.
1: Because Moses <laughs> went to the click kick and Clutter just went, Oh well, anything you can do, I can do better.
0: Don't tell me Huck started this.
1: I don't think so. <laughs> Huck started a lot of shit this week. He did. In both the NRL and the NFL. He did. But I I don't think that was one of them.
0: For once he kept for once he kept calm and controlled. I think this is a new era of Adam Hucks that we are coming to know. <laughs> but the start of the show was really Nathan Cleary. What a comeback from Nathan in this one for the Penrith Pampers. 11 points, four out of four, a penalty goal, a field goal, 19 carries on the football, 121 metres, which was more than Stephen Crichton and Taylor May. Interesting. So much
1: for being rusty.
0: I thought he was outstanding. There was no rust at all, no panic. Poor Wanga Blake's probably still having nightmares about those bombs that are raining down over Bluebet Stadium.
1: Yeah, I think, and I think Luai was perfect in just sitting back a touch. Obviously, we know how good Luai can be with his hands on the ball, but he was willing to let Cleary take the lion's share of possession because of how dominant he was. And that's... That's the sign of two halves that are in sync, that are perfectly intertwined and know the game, know their opponents, and know exactly how to execute.
0: Exactly right, my friend. But for Parramatta, we've got to flip the script a little bit. Uh, they managed to get the control of the game at 8-7, but then everything kind of went downhill. Wunger Blake dropped the bomb, as we mentioned, that led to O'Stry, to- and then everything sort of went downhill from there. But moving forward, they take on Canberra next week. We'll touch on Canberra in a minute. But if Mitch Moses isn't able to overcome the head injury protocols, are Parhamander
1: done? That's, oh, that is a very good question. The real answer is I don't know. Because I don't think we've seen the best of Dylan Brown yet. I think there is another gear that he has that he can go to. Mm -hmm. So I think if Mitch Moses is out, it's the be all and end all. As long as Brown can come and play the game, I think he's capable of.
0: Okay. So say for example, if shit hits the fan, Moses doesn't get through the protocols this week. Jake Arthur is going to be the halfback. Are you saying that Dylan Brown will have to take the dominant half role
1: in that instance? I think Brown would have to put a Rugby League week 10 out of 10 in. But I think, I think he is capable of that. And I think Parramatta could pull it out.
0: Of course, they do have the factor of Combank, which is such a fortress exactly. for Parramatta this season. And exactly. since they've entered the competition, rather. But the week two curse and Brad Arthur, we need to discuss it. 2017, yeah, straight sets.
1: Yeah, that's the other side of it, isn't it?
0: 2019, they win the elimination final. I'm not going to say the score, otherwise I'll give Reese PDSD. And then they go to yes. Amy Park and Fresh get fresh by Melbourne. 2020, top four, go out in straight sets. 2021, elimination final. You can make a bit of an argument about whether they should have beat Penrith and Mackay last year, but I'm not going to enter into that because we'll be here till next Friday night.
1: But The, re- the reality is they didn't. That's all it is.
0: That, that's the big reality. But my question is, say, for example, things go pear-shaped for Parramatta on Friday night and they fail to get to week three again for the, fir- for the fourth season running, believe it or not. What do you do about Brad Arthur? Because you cannot keep accepting the mediocrity of a week two finals exit over and over and over again.
1: I think it would be time to move on, especially when you consider all the players that are leaving the club at the end of this year it would make sense to go into a new era and part of that new era would be having a new head coach. Uh, the real question is, who do you replace him with? Especially now that Dez Hazel's officially off the market. He's staying with Manly.
0: Yeah, that's a very good question. There's not really a lot of yeah. options left. So do you,
1: do you go John
0: Morris, maybe? Well, John Morris, John Cartwright, Jason Riles... There's a lot of names you can throw in that market as far as poaching assistant coaches is concerned. Even Jason Taylor is an option as well. But again, he would embrace the Parramatta spirit by doing what he did with North Sydney and taking his team out in straight sets.
1: True. (laughs) (laughs) True.
0: (laughs) I mean, they lost their New South Wales Cup coach to St George. Like Ryan Carr's gone to be an assistant under Ebony Griffin next year.
1: That's a massive loss.
0: And we know because he was—he moved in in the assistant role after David Kidwell went to Argentinian rugby. Jordan Rankin was the captain coach of the New South Wales Cup team.
1: This year, and lovely bloke. Dragons. Like that is, obviously, Barrett coming in as the assistant for 2023 has sort of scared him off a little bit.
0: Oh, well, there's a name you can throw. You can just promote Trent Barrett again. <laughs> I, would not,
1: I would not throw Trent Barrett anywhere near a head coaching job anytime soon. Thank you very much. If you, want to do, if you want to go full
0: rebuild and screw it, just put him in there.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but for Penrith, they move on to a week three home final. They'll play in a core stadium and they'll play the winner of the Cronulla Souths semifinal on Saturday. The I need to get the dates right here. The 24th of September. Interesting what? one there.
1: I'm, I don't want to pick a side, but wouldn't it be good for Souths to come through? and have that grand final rematch in the prelim.
0: I'd be torn on who to support this. One part of me, I don't want Penrith to go back-to-back. I want to keep that back-to-back record for us. And on the same time, I fucking hate (laughs) Souths. Even more after Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) But I will save my axe grinding for when we talk about that game. So, is there anything else you wanted to touch on on Penrith Parramatta, my friend?
1: Oh, well... Talon May, we'll talk about him for a sec.
0: Oh, we do need to talk about this one. So, in case you missed it, because you shouldn't have missed it because it was on every other news station until uh, Friday morning, Taylor May decided to assault someone. We touched on this, I think, last week. Very vaguely last week. About how the NRL might be coming down with a punishment. So, the geniuses at NRL Central decided to give him a two-week suspension and a fine. You're thinking, okay, he'll miss a few weeks in the finals and screw Penrith's chances. So you want to know what the NRL do? They decide to backdate it and move it into 2023. And Peter Volandes is quote, oh, Peter Volandes is quote, we do not want to ruin the game of rugby league for the fans. So Tayland, why should the fans be punished for Taylors' actions?
1: And yet, when... And I know this is going to be a very fucking controversial example here, but when Parramatta cheated the salary cap in 2016, the fans okay. were the ones who suffer because yeah. Parramatta ended up missing the finals. And
0: they would have been top four if they took the, if they put the 12 points back on the ladder from Memory. Exactly.
1: Why should the fans have to suffer for Parramatta's mistake?
0: Fair point. It's a valid point, and I think. What about should the fans have to suffer for Mitchell Pierce trying to root a dog? We suffered. We
1: had an eight-week suspension because of it. Should the fans have had to suffer for Brett Stewart having false allegations against him? No. Exactly.
0: But in true lolcow style, Taylor May decided to take Will Penasini's head off. And he got simped. <laughs> Even better, Taylor May decided to hurt his hamstring and missed the final 10 minutes. <laughs>
1: So even, even if Taylor May does recover from the hamstring injury, he is still facing a one-game suspension.
0: He's already so, taken the early plea.
1: Yeah, the early, yeah, there, he caught the one-game suspension, which he should be. I'm surprised he's not serving that in round three, 2023. 20, to be honest,
0: no, nah, I'm expecting an announcement from NRLC headquarters. The suspensions mm-hmm. will be
1: served conjointly, conjoint suspensions. <laughs> <laughs> he's serving all three games in one. Yes, because <laughs> the prelim is that important. Again, okay, we can't rob the fans
0: of the best people being there. <laughs> anyway, we got to move on before I lose my mind. Canberra 28 defeating Melbourne 20. Now, who predicted this last week? You did. I said it. And Reese was like, oh, I'm a bit scared because I've been haunted by Melbourne in the past. But I was basing my assessment last week off the two weeks preceding. They were battered and bruised after the Roosters game. They were battered and bruised heavily after the Parramatta game. This was inevitable for me, for Melbourne.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Obviously, I'm not going to debate that they weren't battered and bruised. It was, Especially the Roosters game was extremely physical. And then obviously, Parra were able to take advantage of that physicality in mm-hmm. their game. Uh, to be fair, I thought... The Storms forwards weren't too bad. Um, NAS in particular was pretty awesome, as he usually is. Yeah, in fact, that try to give him
0: the lead before um, just before the hour mark was huge.
1: Yeah, exactly. But I
0: think where the game was won and lost, Joseph Tarpany. What a season this young man has put together!
1: It is. He is ridiculous. He has, well, he's been doing this for a few seasons, but it's been overshadowed by how good Papali is. Um, but now that the Raiders are sort of back in the spotlight thanks to this run of form and now beating Melbourne, getting to a semi final, is able to get a lot more of the praise than he has been in the past, and it's for very good reason. He's probably going to be the Dallium Lock of the Year, probably. and that's in a that's in a season where Jason Tamalolo was on the team that came third.
0: I think he'll get prop of the year, sorry. Lock of he, the year, I think Tamalolo's a lock.
1: Okay, fair enough. I can like, see that. You look, at, I mean,
0: you look at the New Zealand team for the World Cup. Tarpehdy, career best form. Fisher Harris, career best form. Poor Jamaica, now that Dom Young's not playing for them, we're going to get smashed.
1: Yep, fair enough.
0: Pray for our reggae boys, please. <laughs>
1: Um, Yeah, yeah.
0: Matt Timoko. Yes. I want to touch on this young man. Talk about the nerve in your first finals game. The stiff arm on Munster to score that try. That will go down in finals folklore for the rest of history.
1: That was one of the biggest don't argues I've seen in a finals match for a long time. He just... Caught him beautifully. He did. Um, yeah, Tomoko, he is a very, in my opinion, underrated player. Do you put him on the plane uh, for
0: England in the World Cup?
1: Could definitely be a possibility. For New Zealand? Yeah. yeah like, oh, I love how you got that wrong. But yeah, it could definitely be a possibility. But Tomoko, he's played... I think, every game for Canberra this season. I'll just check that. Yes, he has. He's played all 25. Wow. And he's he's sort of just flown under the radar. Like, we've barely spoken about it on the podcast in general. Yeah. Like, I I touched on it after
0: the uh, Roosters game because he made Paul Momorowski look like a bum, but let's be real. Anyone could make Paul Momorowski look like a bum this season.
1: But, you know, he had, in his first 11 games for Canberra, 2021 and 2020, he didn't score a single try. This I remember season, him... he's up to nine. He got that one in the, in the elimination final just then. Mm-hmm. Going along with five try assists and nine line breaks. Uh, quietly, he's turned into a very consistent player, very solid defender as well. Yep. I'm, obviously, me being a Jared Croker fan, it is a bit of a concern to me because I don't see Croker getting back to the first grade. With he's kind of taken that spot
0: consistently this season he's been a shining light for the Raiders but speaking of shining lights here's one that's another one under the radar Hudson Young I know I know he's had a bit of baggage on him in the past for his um grabs around the face but I don't think it could be argued anymore he's such a game breaker that chase through on the grubber which Cam Munster was happy to go dead turn momentum and give the Raiders the lead is sensational
1: and 14 tries on the year for Hudson Young. He has, how much is that? Seven in his last five games. Yep. You know, eight in his last seven. He's been on a bit of a tear. He's finding form at the right time. He is averaging, if I can see, averaging 105 meters a game. Mm-hmm. You know, Tackle-wise, he's... Very, very strong. Very, very solid.
0: Yeah, and also um, Xavier Coates, a hat trick for him. Very, very good again. But the question mark has to be, Australia or PNG?
1: That is a very good question. Well, first of all, does he make the Australian side? I think the answer to that question is yes. You know, you take a look at what he's been able to do this season for Melbourne even with the injury. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been a very consistent performer out on the flank for them. So I think he makes the Australian squad. I think, obviously, without a doubt, he would be a starter on PNG. Um, I think it, I guess it's just up to him. You know, whatever he wants to do. I think he's good enough to, like I say, he's good enough to make the Australian squad, but if he wants to play for Papua New Guinea, he will play for Papua New Guinea.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, an easy decision for him to make. And only he will know what he wants to do as far as eligibility is concerned. But for the Melbourne Storm, a year of injuries, it's safe to say they were absolutely decimated as far as their back five was concerned. With Cam Munster in a contract year coming up and a lot of these forwards leaving, where do Melbourne go in 2023?
1: That's the thing, because... The last time Melbourne had a bit of a clean out like this, where they got rid of a a bunch of older players and started bringing in the younger players like Munster, like Brandon Smith, they were able to have those guys ready to go. I don't think they have that now.
0: We've seen it this year.
1: Yeah, their depth, we said it so many times, it's the worst it's been in over a decade. You know? So, you know, in terms of signings, what? They've got... I know they've got Eli Katoa coming in. You know, that's, that's a big signing. And who else have they got?
0: I'm just checking now. So Zero Tackle has Joe Chan coming from Catalan. He's a forward that'll give some experience. And then they've also got Tarek Sims. Yeah. And we know what, and we know what Tarek's done this year. Been a bit of a mixed bag.
1: Yeah, it's, it's weird. They don't have anyone to replace Jesse Bromwich as well. That's, that's a big thing.
0: They don't have that enforcer ready to go. Exactly. That we've seen you in know, the
1: past. And we know NAS, he is an enforcer, but he can cross the line. Whereas Bromwich really, he rarely goes across the line. He rarely goes into the, you know, Sinbin sort of area. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's definitely concerning. And obviously, the biggest loss, Brandon Smith as well. Off to the Mighty Roosters? Yep. He's been able to do so much for them in that 14 jersey, or when he's had to in the 13 jersey, in the 9 jersey. And, you know, as much as I hyped up young Tyron Wishart at the start of the season, (laughs) he... Didn't show enough to warrant being able to step into that role and perform even three quarters of what Smith was able to do. Do you think that's because, though,
0: Reese, that they threw him around on fullback on the wing? He never really got to establish a set impact role. Like he was always just a Mr. Fix It if a backline player went down or Mr. I mean, Fixer. Yes,
1: yes, you can say that, but. You know, there was a lot of games Brandon Smith was unavailable for. Harry Grant was obviously unavailable through Origin. Mm-hmm. And when Wishart was having that chance to be the 14, or I think he ended up playing dummy half at some points of the season, he didn't show what I was expecting from him.
0: Yeah, I, I just...
1: I think it's all part of
0: development. He's only 22, He's got a lot of chances left. He's he, he only started one game this year, and that was yeah, the one I mean, at fullback against. That was at fullback, yeah. I, I I just I think he deserves more of a chance. That's what I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, okay. That's look. I'm don't think I'm going to sit here and write off a Melbourne Storm. <laughs> We've done that day, before. Look, at the end of the day, they got Pappenhausen coming back next season. That's going to be the biggest game having Pappenhausen back at fullback. Um, So, you know, if there's one team that's capable of bouncing back from this with all the players that are leaving, it's definitely a team coached by Craig Bellamy.
0: Indeed it is, my friend.
1: But there are just a lot of questions that he will need to answer before the start of next season. That's That's the point I'm trying to make.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree there, my friend. But Canberra are moving on to play the Parramatta Eels, on Friday night at Combank Stadium, another intense atmosphere for Ricky Stewart's
1: side to walk into. You give him much of a hope again? Oh, I definitely give him much of a hope. You know, like I touched on, especially if Mitch Moses is injured, if Canberra can develop a game plan to shut down Dylan Brown, they're a massive chance of winning the game. I do think individually that battle between Brown and Jack Whiten is going to be massive in deciding who wins the game. Wyden hasn't necessarily had the best season of his career. Um, But I feel like he is finding form at the right time, like a lot of the Canberra players are. Yep. And if he can match Mm one-on-one, you would assume that Fogarty beats Jake Arthur in their head-to-head.
0: I'd assume so
1: So too. Having Canberra win that halves battle is would be massive,
0: and especially of the form of Joe as we we're touching on just before, but
1: yeah, that, that forward pack battle, oh boy, it'll be yeah, a paper right? Lee and Tarpine versus Campbell Gillard and Bolo.
0: It's going to be incredible. Let's just say it's that mouth watering, mouth watering indeed. Anyway, moving on now to our second qualifying final, North Queensland thirty-two, Sharks thirty. In this one, defense was optional. Both sides scoring five tries each, with the Sharks ingeniously deciding the bottle the game inside the final ten minutes. It was there for them; they had it won. and unfortunately, Connor Tracy's grab on Valentine Holmes, as well as the
1: obstruction, cost them. Yeah, it, it did. You know, um, it was a bit of a brain fart there from Tracy. Obviously, hindsight is always twenty twenty.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: the ball did skid away from Holmes. I don't think he would have got there in no. the first place. They didn't give it a. They
0: didn't give the yeah, initial. shot
1: for a reason. Um, but look, you can say the Sharks threw the game away, but you have to give a lot of credit to the Cowboys. Yeah, number one for their ability to hang into the game when. The Sharks did take it out to an eight-point lead after the Kennedy converted shark. Mm-hmm. You know? Also, number two, just the sheer amount of work the Cowboys went through, you know? They had, well, first of all, let's just talk, touch on this. Pedahiku, 314 metres. None of them coming on kick returns. Holy shit. That is absolutely, it's ludicrous. Holy fuck. That's
0: what it is. I'm just looking at that number for the first time. Jesus. <laughs> monstrous. Unrealistic. And it's not a fullback either that's done that.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, well, he had eight tackle breaks too. That's the even more crazy. Um, but then on top of that, you also had 231 meters for drink water. Uh, Tommy Dearden, 123 meters from 5'8". Reece Robson, nearly 100 meters Um. Well, 70 meters just on dummy half darts alone. Uh, Cot, 182 meters. Play 161. Tamalolo, 270 on 24 carries. 104 post-contact meters. There'd, su- there'd be some props who would be happy to have 104 meters on their own, yeah. let alone post-contact. Gilbert had 104 on its own. Wow. A lot of work for
0: them. And, of course, if you look at tackles as well, I'm sure there'll be some monstrous numbers there. Ruben Cotter, 60 tackles. Robson, 59. Nanai, 45. Tamalolo, 42. But it's not just the Cowboys that had a lot of work to do. The Sharks had a lot of work to do. Talakai, 237 running metres. Uh, who else did something good? More Talo, 275 of 150 coming off kick returns. Uh, Toby Rudolph, one hundred and forty-three, but they're not matching the workload though with the Cowboys, in terms of what we were saying before.
1: Yep, yeah, exactly. I think half of that issue was the halves. I thought, you know, it's it's weird, but I thought Nico Hines was a little bit passive. Obviously, his passing game was awful. Was awesome. He had four line break assists, three try assists. He's mm-hmm. kicking. Kicking game was pretty much on point. You know, 10 bombs as well.
0: You just want him to attack the game and take it to the Cowboys a little bit more?
1: Yeah, with the ball in hand. He had, what, 74 touches. He passed the ball 40 times. He kicked it 24 more. And then, you know, only 63 metres. I feel like he, he has the talent to engage the line. Yeah, and to cause damage the way on the other side, Dearden was able to do Deirdre, that dummy half try, try from Dearden. You know, something special, wasn't it? Um, obviously, you know, Moylan, it is sort of more his game to be more attacking. Yep, and the Cowboys did a really good job of limiting that, but. In that situation where Moylan is being limited, Hines needs to step up more. And I think, you know, this is his first final series as a halfback. He will learn from that. But for now, it's a weakness in the Sharks. Yeah, and we did have two
0: periods of extra time. Of course, the way it works in the finals, we have two five-minute periods of extra time where any score counts. But at the end of the two periods, if there is a winner, the team that's leading wins. But if not, Then we go to the conventional golden point we love and know so much. But the fun part was seeing the Fox League clock count upwards. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. For those who don't know, the Fox League clock, I think it was since they started, has counted backwards.
1: Yes, it has. Since Fox League became an independent channel.
0: Yeah, it would it, driving us mad, the fact that it goes backwards, but it was good to see it count upwards. And on the 93rd minute of the stoppage time, Valentine Holmes steps up, booms a two-point field goal, and seals it for the Cowboys. They get the week off, while the Sharks take on, took on the, win, the winner of the second elimination final in Seattle Sydney on Saturday night at Allianz Stadium.
1: I'll tell you what. I think when watching that two-point field goal, Peter Volandis was thinking about more than just the fans.
0: <laughs> when he was drafting the rule changes, I guarantee this was the scenario that he was thinking would happen the most. <laughs> but what
1: Lovely.
0: a way! What a game! What a way for the game to end! It, it was just—I really wanted it to go to like the 95th minute, just or or something, but it will never top. Uh, The Super League Tri-Series, which went to, I think, 104 minutes of play before no goal
1: And then, obviously, you've got the roosters Tigers semi as well back in the day, which went to, was it 99 or 100? 99. 99, yeah. But, yeah, what's even crazier, all right, there were only two field goal attempts in the entire 13 minutes of overtime. They were just, I think there was a
0: lot of passiveness to see how they wanted to play the five minutes out. Like you saw yeah. the Cowboys had that opportunity straight away when Nakora knocked on, but they were just yeah, really they passive. Went for the try.
1: They went aggressive.
0: Yeah, and we've seen it work. We saw them do it in the semi-final back in, when was it? I'm trying to think.
1: 2017. No, 2016. It was against the Broncos. Oh, yes. They scored a the try in 2017-1-2. Let me have a look, see. I'm pretty sure they did. I know, I, just, in I know in 2016, Morgan was the one who scored that try for, admittedly, a lovely ball by JT.
0: <laughs> I know how hard that is for you to say. No, they won 15-14. They won 15-14. Morgan kicked the field goal in the first period of extra time.
1: Okay, I might I must be getting confused. Oh yes, I, I see what I'm getting confused with. All right, all good. It's okay. Yeah, too easy. We'll, we'll
0: let it go. But anyway, um, Sharks, they're going to have a bit of sore legs, but I think that they'll be okay with what we're about to talk about next. <laughs>
1: obviously, well, we will talk about South Sydney in a second. I think South still have an advantage because of how much the Sharks, obviously the Sharks have to do that extra extra battle. Mm-hmm. But you also have to remember the shocks. Do you get an extra day's rest?
0: And that's all important as far as recovery is concerned.
1: Yeah, exactly. 100% it is. But anyway, <sighs> I wish we could end it
0: now. South Sydney 30 defeating the Sydney Roosters 14. I've titled this game Seven Deadly Sin Bins.
1: <laughs> that's actually a very creative one by him. That, that's know, the you title know, of usually. this
0: podcast. That's the title. You're not of this usually. Podcast.
1: <laughs> You're not usually that creative with titles. You come up with some good ones, but you're not that creative.
0: (laughs) But anyway, let's, let's dissect this game and everything about it because, Jesus, this was painful to sit through, but we had to do it, and I have to go through it now. And my Roosters family that I've come to know and love on Twitter this year know how painful this is to do, but we've got to do it. Let's just get through this as painfully free as possible. So... Victor Radley gets Simbin for an alleged punch, which turned out didn't even hit a bloke, but we'll go with it. He got simbined for 10 minutes, and that was the precedent set for the rest of the day. Ashley Klein was tolerating nothing, just like last year where he lost control. But that does not excuse our pathetic right-hand side defence where the two biggest liabilities, Drew Hutchison and Paul Momorowski, allowed Alex Johnston to stroll over to score. Off that, the... But the Roosters are able to get some field position and Angus Crichton, who's probably been Greeksha could probably vouch for this, one of our more informed players in this eight-match winning streak we've had recently.
1: Yep, definitely. Definitely. He,
0: he pounced over for a good try. Sam Walker, considering his good goal kicking form of late, decided to pat out the stats by missing a few attempts of goal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they were some horrid attempts too.
0: Yeah, that were really bad, but from there. The Roosters produced an excellent set after points. We forced a Rabideau's error and Daniel Tupont strolled over to score a try. But from there, the turning point hit. James Tedesco was hit high, illegally, by Tom Burgess. The video referee somehow decided it wasn't worthy of a symbion. So we couldn't even activate Adam Kieran and James Tedesco is off the field. In what sport is that possible? where we lose a player illegally due to foul play, but because he wasn't sent to the sin bin or sent off, we can't replace him.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely something the annuals going to have to look at. I think the idea that the 18th man can only be activated by a sin bin or a send off is so stupid. It should be done for players being put on report too. I just don't understand why it's not.
0: It should be all acts of foul play that are reportable offences. Yeah. Like, it it has not been made any more clear because of this. And from there, let's just count how many high tackles they had in a row. Ready? We had one, two. We had three high tackles in a row. Yet, two players go to Simbin. No caution about the next one being sent off.
1: Yep. But at the same time, the high tackle that took a player out, it wasn't Simbin, even though the next two were. I think the...
0: Actually, Klein said he gave Burgess the benefit of the doubt.
1: Yes, yes, I heard that too. It's it's ridiculous, really. I and I understand. I understand there was a mitigating factor in the Tedesco tackle, mm-hmm. in that in that Tedesco had dropped his head below Burgess's chest height. That is a mitigating factor. mm Hmm. Hundred percent. how often have we seen that be sin binned? Too often. Yeah. Like, we had that discussion on this podcast about comparing it to Union and their mitigating factors. We did. And, and... whether or not the sin bin for that situation was too harsh. Yeah. But now... all, season, they've, all season they've gone on and continued to send those players to the Sinbin for that, and now mm-hmm. they change it for the finals. It's just not what we want as fans. Speaking yes, – Yes, we understand. We... Sorry, I keep cutting you off. But yes <laughs> – We do want the best players on the field. We want 13-on-13 as much as we can, but we also want consistency from the referees.
0: 100% we do. But for me, and I know this because I covered the game in specific, but the Tane Milne high shot reminded me very much of the Francis Molo high shot that saw him got sent off against the Titans.
1: It did. I thought I I was okay with that one being a sin bin, though.
0: You were okay with it?
1: Again, there was that mitigating factor of Sualee. Mm-hmm. He did sort of slide into the hit.
0: Yeah, but we can excuse that one. But what's the excuse for the coat hanger on Connor in the second half?
1: That one, there is no excuse for, especially when you consider that it's his second coat hanger of the game. I think he should have been sent.
0: Yeah, I, I don't get. It. I know we want to keep everyone on the field for the finals. I understand it, but. We've got to have some boundaries because we kept seeing after this, the Simbians weren't a strong enough force of action yesterday. They, they should have been send-offs. And I know it's finals and we want to see the best players on the park. We don't want to spoil it for the fans as we've heard our boss and almighty PVL say. But our sport is laughable with the inconsistencies on fair play.
1: Yeah. Realistically, though, you do. I will commend Clyde for one thing which was in the scuffle in the 60th minute, sin binning both to Tola and Radley. I think there would have been a lot of referees that would have only put Radley into the bin in that situation.
0: Yeah. I felt Victor was just stupid there. Like, yeah. And, and and even the referee incident, the preceding push on the face, the fact that he came in third man in was just stupid. It was just super duper stupid. Yeah. But from there, the Rabbitohs went over to score with eleven men because uh, Drew Hutchison can't defend.
1: <laughs> yep, that's a pretty fair answer.
0: So we go down twelve eight, and we managed to hang on to half time. We were a touch unlucky not to score with Suali'i, but then Daniel Tupo went down just after half time. So Robbo's big brain strategy back from twenty seventeen backfired <laughs> in spectacular fashion again.
1: Also, don't forget at this point, Crichton has also been ruled out with a concussion. Oh, yeah. So, who you would have been having to play Nat Butcher at centre. Now nah, we were playing Connor Watson. That's even worse somehow. He,
0: he ran down Cody Walker last week. I liked it. I just wish that um, Tupo took a head knock so he had the free head knocks to activate AK. <laughs> that
1: would have been a fair call. That's a fair call.
0: But then we got done again for numbers, and we saw Johnston grab over for his second, and then Jared Maria Hargreaves got put on report and Simbin for a hit for a head slam, which I've got a feeling we've seen ninety times this season. But oh no, we're going to make an example of Jarrod and Simbin him.
1: To be fair, I think the NRL's definitely cracked down on it because of the Storm Roosters game two weeks ago.
0: But why crackdown? The NRL said that, oh, no, there was no crackdown issued before the finals, yet we get made the example club and get picked on for it. Yeah. That's what pisses me off and what's pissed a lot of people off. From there, Joy Arrow went over to score and effectively sealed the game, but we were able to force a mistake off the kickoff. And that Butcher, who I've got a feeling has sealed that back row spot next year. He's been amazing in this back end of the season. He got over for a lovely gum.
1: Yeah, Satili's definitely going to have to have a big off season if he wants to get back into the starting side.
0: Uh, North Sydney? Yeah, JT, you're putting Satili in next week? Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, were just, we weren't able to get that killer blow afterwards. And we had that scuffle as we touched on. And then Tane Milon nearly decapitated Connor Watson. And... We just weren't able to get any momentum back. And unfortunately, they went over late to school with Isaiah Tass. But a lot of postmortems were said. Um, honestly, I've got to have some harsh words on some people. Paul Momorowski and Drew Hutchison, I hope to never see you in first grade for the Roosters ever, ever again. Hutch more so at centre because he just pisses me off there because he's not the right build. Like we brought in all the on loan. He would have been better yesterday. Yep, 100% are, would have been better. Um, the forwards, they tried their asses off. Matt Lodge ran for just under 200 metres in 52 minutes. That's an impressive effort. Um, who else played well? Nat I touched on. But I want to give a farewell message to two of my favourite players, Sammy Virals and Siwa Uh, Blokes have been rocks for us in the last three years. Sammy's just been brutally unlucky with injuries. And I wish him all the best going over to the Titans. Whereas Siwa is going off to Catalan. It's and crazy. He... I
1: think obviously Obviously Siwa's not at the best of his abilities at this point of his career. But he is still an NRL level prop.
0: I don't think he could have he wouldn't have... if it wasn't playing for the Roosters, yeah. he wouldn't have stayed in the NRL.
1: Yeah, I can I can understand that. I, I I definitely understand that. But you know, I think he could have been a rooster next season, personally.
0: Yeah, I think we just got a lot of young depth coming through as we broke exclusively on the league scene. Um Terrell Mays re-signed. Um Was it was it CY's
1: choice to go ever, or did the Roosters sort of give him a tap?
0: C Wise choice. He um there was a lot of money. Ah, uh, Catalan, for him. And what you notice is a lot of Roosters players do go over there because when we were travelling over for the World Club Challenge, we'd always stop over in Catalan because of the rep- the um, repertoire Robbo built over there when he was coaching. So it's yeah, not a surprise. Okay. It's not a surprise to see a lot of former Roosters uh, jet over and eventually play with Catalan.
1: Pierce Maloney, etc. Napa. Yep.
0: Yeah. Okay, but now to give some credit where it's due, South Sydney, they outplayed us through the middle of the park at times, but they had to get physical to do it. Um, Cam Murray back in that side made a world of difference as far as the ball playing was concerned. Uh, Latrell Mitchell, whilst the statistics say he was quiet, nine runs, 78 metres, only 25 kick return metres, in quite a soft display. His hands on the football in the red zone are just, as much as you might hate the bloke, you gotta admire it.
1: Yep, exactly. definitely. He always, even though we can criticize him for the workload he puts in, mm-hmm. he always seems to pop up at the right time. Yes. That's
0: the point I wanna make. But yeah, um, what do you make of the kicking jewel to start things with Lachot booting it back to Sam Walker?
1: It was interesting. Um They lost, the kicking duel. (laughs) Yeah, they lost, but it's not something we see pretty often, eh? No, it wasn't. It was more a rugby union thing. It was, but I've got
0: a feeling that all the concussion stuff and all the stuff around the perceived loss of control, I'm going to ask you the question. Do you think Ashley Klein lost control yesterday? Partially. Partially. And do you think think he used the right tools to keep control?
1: Look, I think after the Waria Hargraves sin bin, everything sort of started boiling over. And that inevitably led to the scuffle. Yeah. But after the scuffle, Klein stepped in and made the right choice by making both players sit down. Even though what Totola did was comparatively minor in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. him sitting down Totola set the precedent that, all right, There's going to be no more of this. We're just going to now go send in, send off, whatever.
0: Do you think it came too late though?
1: I don't know because there wasn't really an opportunity for him to do it earlier in the game. Obviously, just as far as like
0: the high tackles are concerned, I've got a question mark about the high
1: tackles. The high tackles are one thing, you know, high tackles. As much as we hate them, they are part of the game. They do happen on accident you know, you do go for a player's chest and they slip into your arm. That does happen. Mm-hmm. What uh, JWH did was intentional. As Even if some Roots fans will disagree, it was intentional. And okay. that's where you have to sort of draw the line and go, okay, no more. Klein probably did the best thing in that situation by sin him. I think it would have been too harsh to send him off. Mm-hmm. And then obviously when everything boiled over, like I said, client did the best of his ability to uh, sit both players down. And then the Milne incident, it happened five minutes later, but I think it's not related, in my opinion. No, nah, it's not related at all. Not related. That was just um, Milne. Milne being a bit of a bonehead.
0: <laughs> being a bit of a lullcat. But anyway, Souths are moving on to week two. They'll take on the Sharks while the Roosters had their Mad Monday down at a bowling club.
1: <laughs> Sounds like the most robo thing to do, to be honest.
0: It was a low key because we're gonna have a we're gonna have a big World Cup representation, so we can't go on a massive bender and dress up like a bunch of lunatics because we'll end up on the back page of the Telegraph.
1: Yeah, don't need controversies.
0: We don't need that. We don't need Buzz getting pissed off at Michael Clark again.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: okay, moving on now to Graham Annesley's briefing. A lot to go through this week, so. We touched on a lot of the simmies. We're going to get Graham Annesley's opinion on what was said. And then we're going to get into a bit of a discussion around diving in the game. So, as always, Reece, uh, jump in if you want to add anything to a particular incident. So, Storm v Raiders. Some people question this decision of the Nelson Ossoppa-Solomona knock-on. In real speed, it looked like he lost possession. But when you look at the incident in slow motion, you can see that the ball comes away from his hand and bounces off the leg of a Raiders player, which constitutes a knock-on and thus a correct decision.
1: Yep, I think that's very fair. Uh, Sharks v. Cowboys, an obstruction
0: ruling regarding the lead run of Jesse Ramion on Valentine Holmes. Ramion stops in the line and prevents Valentine Holmes getting to chase in, stopping a try. Holmes is entitled to be allowed to chase the ball carrier as a defender. And I've put there, just referred, I remember a few weeks ago, I think it was round, when did you guys beat the Knights? Round 22? Yes, round
1: 22.
0: I remember we had a bit of a discussion around obstruction indicators. I didn't want to screenshot the, art, um, the graph and put it in again, so I just report. please refer to obstruction indicators that were in a previous briefing document. Now, also yep. from the same game, the Valentine holmes Connor Tracy incident, question marks surrounding a penalty try. We'll play bunker audio, which cleared all aspects of play leading up to the grab. Bunker official Sutton is of the opinion that Holmes wouldn't have scored the try. The bunker has determined that Tracy was initially in the contest, but he does play the man.
1: Yep. So what they're basically saying is, if Tracy doesn't doesn't go at Holmes, it's not certain that Holmes would have got to the ball first.
0: Correct. Um, however, he did say that Tom Burgess could have and should have been simmed in for the tackle on James Tedesco, but yep. he understands why they took the actions they did.
1: Yep, and I can agree with that. Like I said earlier.
0: Uh, Graham Adesley said, On the Simbins yesterday, was a lack of discipline from the players. Yesterday, we saw a whole range of incidents that were, that took the decisions out of the hands of the match officials. They crossed the line that's not the fault of the referees nor the bunker.
1: Yep, 100%. And that's, that's just one of the things you get in a rivalry game.
0: Yeah. Uh, Graham was of the opinion that Ashley Klein didn't lose control yesterday and commends the three officials on field and the bunker for their handling of the game for staying the course and maintaining a consistency of their on-field punishments. They maintain control during the circumstances they were presented with.
1: Yep, that's pretty much what we touched on.
0: Annesley is concerned about players laying down, waiting for the intervention of the bunker. That is not isolated to yesterday, but they will review it in the off-season. In many cases, players are actually injured when they lay down. He says there's no magical solution to this, but... I'm going to go back to what you said a few weeks ago. If the referee doesn't call an incident live, no intervention. Because the reportable offence stuff that we've been seeing, like you look at the ones where Latrell lay down yesterday. Some of them were laughable.
1: Yeah. I, think, I think that's the one. Instead of the concussion replacement, I think that's the one you need to up to send or send off. Yes, yeah. I, I tend if, to agree. Only if, actions. If it, if it is a serious incident that the referee has missed, like the Taylan May tackle on Friday, that's a significant. Yes, I'm offense. more than happy for the bunker to intervene and have a penalty be called. Mm-hmm. But not when you get tapped on the head. Some or... of those were
0: pathetic yesterday.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Like, and, I'm, and I can say that all because I'm a Rooster supporter, but some of them were absolutely laughable, and then they don't go through the proper concussion protocols either. And that's another thing that got me right up. Mark Nichols was knocked out, yet somehow was magically allowed to play on. Yeah. But, oh, no, when a Roosters player goes down, uh, injury surveillance doctor has asked us to stop the game. It was bullshit. Yeah. It was absolute bullshit.
1: Yeah, I can, I can definitely see where you're coming from.
0: Um, he stressed that there was no crackdown. It was a reaction based on on-field reactions from players. He further went on to say it's a difficult issue diving and staying down. He said that if the match officials miss something and with increase of video technology, the outrage will be immense. What do you make of that one?
1: Yes, I can agree with that. We both have active profiles on Twitter and we know how ugly it can get when referees miss calls. Yep. So we don't want to be adding any more fuel to the fire. Thank you very much.
0: 100%. But anyway... Without further ado, it is time for this week's prestigious Low of the Week. Mm. This week goes to the South Sydney Rabbitohs Twitter
1: account. Ah, yes. Ah, for yes.
0: hilarious childish piece of bullshit that I have seen from an <laughs> NRL Twitter admin.
1: Yep, go on.
0: It was absolutely laughable. Like, Victor Radley on Getting Sim in the second time. Oh, yeah. You a bit angry there, Victor? Fuck me. <laughs> that was pathetic. Holy shit.
1: Wow. I, I don't like when admins sort of break the character of being the footy team to do stuff like that mid-game. Like, and you saw it. With the Steelers-Bengals game in the NFL this morning as well. <laughs> the, both admins were giving it to each other. Yeah, like, it was pretty bad. Yeah. But It's it's good for engagement purposes, but it's just overall, it looks a little bit cringe. Not going to lie. Yeah.
0: Uh, just for Roosters fans, there's some big injury news. Now, obviously, with Jared being charged, there's been some rumour he could serve it during the World Cup. That might not happen anymore. He broke his wrist yesterday and oh. played on. Oh, damn. It gets even worse for the Roosters. Sam Walker cracked his forearm.
1: Fucking hell.
0: And played on.
1: Well, that would have been a bit of an issue if you won, to be fair.
0: I'm just proud of how they fought on. They kept going.
1: Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It is something Roosters fans should be proud of. I just wanted to bring that up because I saw it there. But my
0: supplementary log here goes to Money Mac. Evan McPherson. Yes. <laughs> now, we, let's just have a chat about this. Now, um, so Evan McPherson has built a reputation for being money and clutch in big situations and decided to self-proclaim his nickname of Money Mac. Now, slight so problem. The long snapper, the dude that's actually responsible for hiking him the ball, was injured today. So... The Bengals go ahead and score a go-ahead game-tying touchdown. I was watching this all live this morning, absolutely pissing myself laughing. Game-winning extra point gets blocked. (laughs) Don't worry, it gets even better. They had another one. I think it was from about 27, 28 yards out. He gets snapped the ball. It's like a 12-overall kicker kicked the ball on Madden 22. (laughs) Am I wrong?
1: You're not wrong, it went flying sideways.
0: It was like Brandon McManus's one against Cincinnati when it missed the net. Yes,
1: yes.
0: (laughs) Now, that is my supplementary lolcow. Now, Reese, yours is probably going to come from the Ferrari or McLaren side
1: of Monza this weekend. So, what have you got for us? You're a bit wrong, but I am going to go with two lolcows because I cannot separate these two at all. One of them is from the F1, but one of them is actually from the great game of Rugby League. Oh, he's got one. We've got one. So, first of all, my I'll go my F1 first. Uh, Nicky Latifi. Oh, God. Now, if you don't know who Nicholas Latifi is, he is probably the worst F1 driver on the grid at the moment. He drives for Williams, who are the worst team on the grid, and he's there because his dad is the CEO of Williams' major sponsor.
0: So, just like um, Mazepin was their last because yes. of the sponsor.
1: Exactly. Now, Latifi is the only full-time driver this season who hasn't yet recorded a top 10 finish and as a result has no points to his name in the driver's standings. This week at Monza was a massive chance for Williams who do have a very fast car in a straight line, not so much when it's turning, but the track that prioritises straight line speed over everything. It was even more opportunistic for Latifi when his teammate, Alex Albon, who has four points in this year's championship, got appendicitis on Friday night and was ruled out for the rest of the weekend. So in Albon's place comes the Mercedes reserve driver, Nick De Vries, who has never raced in Formula 1 before and only has a handful of Friday practice sessions to his name. He actually practiced on the Friday for the Aston Martin team. Don't tell and me he placed. Came across on the Saturday to race for Williams. So anyway. Race day. Alright. Both Williams get promoted into the top 10. Because of a bunch of edge penalties. To drivers ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Latifi. Slides out from the bottom of the top 10. And ends up finishing. P15. Meanwhile. Nick Vries Is able to hold his own. And finishes P9. Well done. Which means, yep, he is the 67th Formula 1 driver to score points on debut. And it now means Nicholas Latifi is 21st in a 20-driver world championship.
0: Holy shit.
1: Yes. Um... Latifi is off contract at the end of the season, and there are a lot of rumours that Williams will finally pull the pin on him. Hopefully it's true because I cannot stand to see him in Formula 1 any longer than I have to. But <laughs> we still have one more little cat to go, and this is my favourite one I've done yet. Okay. Oh, God. You are going to love to hear this because it's everything we have put down wrong with Rugby League, and it's from a familiar face. Who is it? It's our good friend, Jermaine Azarko.
0: I have heard something about this.
1: (laughs) Yes. So, Queensland Cup. Semi-final. Tweed Heads versus Sunshine Coast. Azarko on Tweed Heads. Tweed Heads score a try. Oh, sorry. It's golden point. All right. Sunshine Coast are kicking off to Tweed Heads to start the Golden Point period. They kick towards Azarko, who's wearing an ominous jumper number 21, by the way. And Azarko loses it in the sun. That's okay. Sunshine Coast have kicked it relatively short. The ball's going to bounce five metres out from the trial line. It should be okay. The ball hits its top and skids over the dead ball line. So it's a line dropout. Tweedhead's kicking back to Sunshine Coast now. But
0: oh, that's all right.
1: No. Massive chance for, for, for Tweed to just kick this drop out as far as possible, keep Sunshine Coast out of field goal range, and then just work their way back into the game. They give the ball to Izako, and he decides to kick short. And he aims the ball to land exactly on the 10 meter line. All right. <laughs> He's actually it's actually a really perfect pinpoint kick. Like it's going to hit the 10 meter line and then on the bounce, who knows where the ball ends up. There's just one slight problem. The back rower on the left edge for Tweed Heads overran the ball and as it was coming down, it hits him on the thigh before it travels the 10. So it's a penalty to Sunshine Coast right in front of the post they duly put on the two points for the penalty goal and end tweed's season in one of the worst ways I can possibly think of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my
0: fucking God. Rugby That's a Jermaine Osarco thing to league. do. <laughs> it's a Jermaine Osarco thing to do, is it not?
1: Oh, 100% it is. I wouldn't expect it from anyone else except him. Uh, (laughs) Congratulations, Dolphins, on signing him, by the way. Really good business move.
0: Indeed. It was a very decisive business move. But anyway, Reese, that's going to wrap us up for our look at week one of the NRL finals. Next week, we'll be looking at week two and then having a sneaky preview ahead of the preliminary finals that are coming forthrightly. Plus... There should be some World Cup squads coming out. We will cover the World Cup squads as they come through. But until next week, on behalf of Reese, I'm AJ Luke Antonio. We'll catch you next week. Take care, everyone.
1: Bye, guys.